You are listening to Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Hello, Worldwide Engineers. How's it going today? You know, I'm honestly super glad that you are here today, spending time out of your busy schedule to listen to this podcast, to learn something new, and to acquire a new piece of knowledge. You know, here in Montreal, Canada, we're entering our sixth week of lockdown. That's the second round of lockdown. And I know a lot of countries and cities are in the process of going into a second wave of lockdown. And it's during those times where we have very limited options in front of us and investing in our intellects, in learning something new and developing a new skill That's, in my opinion, the right way to go through this current phase we're going through. So I'm honestly just happy to see you here today. Did you know that as of 2020, 33% of the cost of an electric car is simply for its battery? You know, that's crazy thinking about it, especially considering that batteries have been one of those technologies that we usually take for granted because we've been using them, you know, in our remote, in our laptop, in our TV, wherever. And... It's, but when you think about it, battery technology, it's still at its infancy and it is in the process of undergoing massive changes in the current century that are going to result in a decrease of prices and secondly, in an improvement of efficiency, which is one of the reasons we thought of getting one of the best experts in the world related to battery technology. Today's podcast guest is Vivas Kumar. Vivas is a former employee at Tesla and worked as a global lead negotiator at Tesla's battery supply chain. Vivas then moved on to work at Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, which is a leading company in the electric vehicle battery supply chain data intelligence. Vivas is currently undergoing an MBA at Stanford and is an international speaker Vivas has spoken about sustainability technology and electric vehicles at some of the world's largest venues, including the White House, the Pentagon, the U.S. Department of Energy, Bloomberg, uh, the New York Times, you name it, all those big media outlets. In today's episode, you're about to learn a lot of important things. You're about to learn what are the different supply chain steps in building a battery, what are some of the different components in the battery, and which ones are the most expensive ones. What are some different trends that impact the cost of electric batteries? And how does the geopolitical climate affect that? And finally, something super important that's actually something we're all going to be living through is that in the next coming decade, we are expecting to go through a shortage of lithium iron, which is one of the main components in building batteries. Vivas goes deep into this phenomenon. Why are we expecting to see a shortage of lithium iron? And what are some of the potential solutions to that problem? Anyways, I don't want to spoil too much of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know what you thought of it by sending me a DM on my personal Instagram account at Leon Abud. That's at L-E-O-N-A-B-B-O-U-D. I read all the DMs, I read all your feedbacks, and I implement all the suggestions you have for me. With that said, I'll be seeing you on the other side. Recently watched your talk you gave at Stanford, which was absolutely mind-blowing. It was amazing. And there's a few things I caught that I'd like to talk to you about. You know, during your talk at Stanford, you mentioned that there were a few um, a few things that were pushing down the cost of EV batteries. So there's a few different players on a few different different 
different pushes towards the reduction of EV battery, EV batteries. And as we all know, batteries are the most expensive component of electric cars. So I was wondering, could you expand on that? What exactly are those different forces that are causing the reduction of the costs of electric batteries? Absolutely. So lithium-ion batteries are anywhere from 25 to 40% of the bill of materials of making an electric vehicle, far and away the most expensive component in manufacturing EVs. Five years ago, there were only two battery megafactories in the world. And how Benchmark Mineral Intelligence defines megafactory is a lithium-ion battery factory that is capable of producing more than one gigawatt hour per year of production. Now, there are 190 different lithium-ion battery megafactories that have been either announced in construction or already in production with a target capacity of 2.9 terawatt hours of battery cell capacity. My former employer, Tesla, in their battery day five weeks ago, talked about how they want to individually as a company produce terawatt hour scale battery factories, which is a very impressive thing to see. And the net result of all of these battery factories being built is a steep downward trend in the battery cell production costs over time. In the last 12 years, we've gone from seeing battery cells cost $1,200, $1,300 per kilowatt hour to produce to now being closer on average for the large scale producers, anywhere from $120 to $130 per kilowatt hour. That's a 10x decrease in just 12 years. The best in class battery producers are already producing at less than $100 per kilowatt hour. And once we're at the point that EV makers can consistently access battery cells at less than $100 per kilowatt hour, that's the point at which electric vehicles and internal combustion engine vehicles will start to be very competitive against each other. And the economics will make more sense to buy an EV for all classes of vehicles, not just the classes in which they're sold today. Uh, who in the world is the largest manufacturer and exporter of batteries? Is it China or the U.S.? Most of the world's battery cell capacity today is in China, and most of the planned battery cell capacity is also going to be in China. And if you look at the supply chain for batteries, that's also true as well. So the companies that produce cathodes, anodes, lithium, nickel, cobalt chemicals, 60 to 70%, depending on the commodity, of the total market share for those materials is going to be in China by Chinese companies. And something interesting I caught on during your talk is that a lot of times what is manufactured in China, for example, is not a lot of batteries, battery manufacturers that are done in China are not necessarily applicable or usable in the context of electric cars for the simple reason that uh, there's a very high standard for battery technology. You know, the last thing car companies want, Tesla, Nissan, uh, want is a battery that combusts in the middle of a, of, a, of a drive. So is that true that a lot of, like most of the, like where, is, where does most of the usable batteries for EVs come from? Generally speaking, there are three tiers of battery cells. So the tier one are the battery cells that can be used in a Western automotive application. So these are companies like Panasonic, LG Chem, CATL, 
uh, which recently became a tier one manufacturer, Samsung, etc. There are a few companies that are in that upper strata. And then there are tier two battery cell manufacturers. And these are battery cell companies that produce for automotive functions in China. There's a clear value differential, excuse me, not a value differential, a quality differential, the types of battery cells that can be used in the West versus used in China for electric vehicles. And that is driven mostly by policy and by the consumer profile of the person who's using the vehicle. And there are, there are a couple of dozen companies that are in that tier two. Every other company we classify as being in the tier three. And so these are companies that are making batteries for applications outside of automotive, for energy storage, for power tools, for consumer electronics, and other forms of energy storage that are not as intensive or have as high a safety, quality, and reliability threshold that electric vehicles do. So inside of batteries, what is, we all know batteries are made up of a lot of things. There's a lot of chemicals, there's a lot of metals. What in the batteries is the most expensive part of it? The materials that you use to make the battery cells are the most expensive. So if we were to break that down a little bit further, the materials that are mostly used in the process of making battery cells today, there's a lot of differentiation, but just, you know, to go with an example, let's take a battery cell from Tesla, which is making uh, cells for consumption in the U.S. It's generally known that they're using what is called an NCA lithium-ion battery. NCA stands for nickel, cobalt, and aluminum. So th those are the cathode materials. On the anode side, they're mostly using graphite for the anode. And then of course you have lithium because electricity is generated by the movement of lithium electrons back and forth between discharging and charging from the cathode and the anode. Now all of these metals and the specialty chemicals of nickel, lithium, cobalt, aluminum, graphite, etc., these are the biggest contributors to the cost of manufacturing a battery cell. Over time, the cost of manufacturing so the actual assembly cost has come down because of manufacturing efficiency and scale from the fact that we're building bigger and bigger factories. But the materials themselves still remain the most expensive component because they're usually bought based on market pricing rather than at cost of production. So then this makes me curious, are those materials finite elements? Do you... Have, do you, do you excavate them from the floor, or can you manufacture something similar in a lab? The materials that are used for large-scale manufacturing, the process to get them is you start at a mine. I mean, everything you know that, that is made of atoms comes from mines somewhere, <laughs> right? So nickel mines, cobalt mines, lithium mines, etc. When you have the mined material, you can't just take, for example, lithium directly out of the ground and put it into a battery cell. That's not how it works. There's an intermediate process where you make a specialty chemical out of the metal that comes out of the mine so that it's usable for battery cell manufacturing. Now, just once you get it to the point where it's a specialty chemical, then you go through a couple more intermediate steps to put those metals into cathodes or anodes and then there's a mechanical assembly process where you bring together 
the cell can, the cathode, the anode, the electrolyte, and the separator, and you put it all together to make the battery cell. You know, I was asking that because something that really caught my attention that you said in one of your talks, and that is kind of worrying if you ask me, is that we, with the current supply and demand we have, we are heading towards, um, how do you say, what's the word? We're going to have missing, we're going to have more demand than supply for lithium iron. Is that correct? So, so uh, are you short, about that's the word. That's the key word, a shortage. We're heading towards a shortage in lithium iron in the coming decade. What is, why is that? The supply chain to make battery cells is very complicated. So like I said, you start with mined materials, then you have specialty chemicals, then you have cathode and, cathode and anode before you can make cells. At every single step of the supply chain, something could break. So if you stack up what all of the automakers say they're going to do in terms of electric vehicles, and you translate that into battery cells, and you translate that into the quantities of lithium, nickel, and cobalt chemicals that you need, what you find is there is just not enough lithium chemicals, cobalt chemicals, nickel chemicals, cathode chemicals being produced today to meet the expectations of EV makers in the future. So the entire supply chain has to grow along with the automakers who want to put more electric vehicles on the road. And that's going to take billions of dollars of investment all over the world into high-risk projects. But then this makes me curious because I'm looking at it on the side of on the business side of things. Clearly, EVs are the future. So why don't entrepreneurs or investors aren't why aren't they pouring their money into supply chains? Knowing it's that important to note what I said earlier that these are supply chains that are high risk. So first of all, the mine is going to be wherever the mine is, right? It's not going to be like you can make chemicals anywhere. It's just a question of at what cost. You can make cars anywhere. It's just a question of at what cost. But oftentimes what you find with mining is the best resources are in places where attracting financing is difficult and where there is an element of geopolitical risk that can't be discounted. And so that's one of the biggest difficulties in expanding supply chain capacity is finding projects that are sufficiently de-risked such that they can attract financing at the you know billion dollar level that they need them. But so then what is the potential solution to that if we're clearly heading towards a shortage? So there's two, ways that like I think about, there's two ways that I think about it. The first is we should look at extending the life of battery cells that we have on the road now to be as long as possible so that we put off the need for making new battery cells as much as we can. There's a academic study that was done on the original Tesla Roadsters that showed that after 10 years of use, the average cycle life of those battery cells was about 93% versus batteries that are only reaching end of life when they're at 80%. Now, those were battery cells that were manufactured in the year 2010. Battery cells that are being manufactured today 
are going to be at such a sufficiently high quality that they'll probably be able to last for 30 or 40 years before they have to be scrapped for use. And I envision a future in which when you buy an electric vehicle today, after 10 years, you will hold on to the battery pack and just replace the car body because there's going to be so much more value in the pack than in the car body. Now, the second way that I would think about this is by a battery recycling. So, you know, instead of going out and finding primary materials from a mine, you just reuse the materials that are already out there in retired battery cells that are coming back to you. There are plenty of companies that are working on this now. So J.B. Straubel, who used to be the CTO and founder of Tesla, is now working on a new company called Redwood Materials that is looking at uh, looking at recycling battery cells. There's another company in Canada called Lifecycle. There's a company in India called Atero. There are plenty of companies in China that are, that are looking at lithium-ion recycling processes. So recycling is becoming a bigger and bigger deal to try to solve this question of how to make up for the lack of primary material availability. And I'm glad you mentioned recycling because that was actually one of the questions I had before we move on to the Q&A section, uh, which is, could you, you have a lot of experience with batteries. You know exactly what happens at each and every single stage of a battery's life. So I was wondering, and that's something, uh, that was a very common question with um, our talk with SAS, which is battery recycling. What exactly happens after a battery reaches its end of life in cars? Where is it automatically recycled, usually right now in a factory, or is it disassembled? Where do the chemicals end? Do you reuse them or do you bury them somewhere in the, deep in the floor? When a battery reaches end of life in a car, there's two different paths that could go. The first is you could take the battery cell out of the car and downcycle it into a different application. So that means you take the cell and you don't break the cell apart. You just use it for an energy storage application. So one example of this is the Amsterdam Arena. The Amsterdam Arena uses old Nissan Leaf batteries as their backup power um, to maintain the sort of electricity and power levels for the factory, um, for the sports stadium, excuse me. Um, there are factories out there that are doing this as well. That's the point I was trying to make. Factories that, that need backup power to keep continuous operation going, they will use used EV battery cells as that backup power source. The second thing to do is to break that lithium ion battery apart in either a mechanical or a chemical process. And there's two different chemical processes called pyrometallurgical or hydrometallurgical, where what you're doing, the simplest way to think about it is to basically break apart the battery cell and outcome output feeds of lithium chemicals or lithium metal, nickel chemicals or nickel metal, cobalt chemicals or cobalt metal, such that they can then be reused in the process of manufacturing new battery cells. Hey, Worldwide Engineers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, please, please, please share it with a friend as growing this community is going to allow us to get to bigger and better speakers part of the episode. And you talking about this podcast and sharing it with your friends is our best way of growing this community. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I wish you all a very productive day.